being an account executive trying to sell something new is extremely scary. I had so much success in my previous role as an inside sales manager, but I looked at the founders and I looked at the opportunity of growing the team and told myself that I will do it again. I will be able to prove that I have the ability to not only be a, a top sales rep, but also lead a team again. Hello and welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast featuring conversations with the most accomplished, admired, and amazing female revenue leaders throughout B2B tech. Taking the Lead is hosted by Christina Brady, a sales leader, lifelong learner, and president of Sales Assembly. This show is brought to you by Sales Assembly, the industry's first and only scale-as-a-service platform that helps high-growth tech companies scale better, scale faster, and scale smarter. Visit salesassembly.com to learn more. And now, let's jump into the conversation. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Taking the Lead. I'm Christina Brady. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer of Sales Assembly, and this episode is brought to you by our partners at Contract Book, Walnut, and of course, Motion. Contract Book is a contract automation tool that makes managing contracts easy, efficient, and automated. They enable you to utilize the valuable data inside of your contracts to create powerful workflows and take the hassle out of contracts. We use them here at Sales Assembly. It is a phenomenal system. I highly recommend. Visit contractbook.com to learn more. That brings me to Walnut. They are the world's first sales experience platform. Chew on that for a moment. They give B2B sales teams the ability to create interactive and customized sales demos without coding. Think of the time saver. So you can use Walnut to make your sales journey more customer centric. You can embed an interactive product walkthrough on your website to increase conversions. You can even share links to personalized demos with your prospects to improve their buying experience. If you want to learn more, visit walnut.io today. And finally, we could not produce this podcast without our partnership with the incredible team at Motion. They're a podcasting service company for scrappy marketing teams or any B2B tech company looking to launch a show. They launch podcasts like this one. They help create the audio, video, editing, written content, even blog posts out of each and every episode. You can find them at motionagency.io. Now, that brings me to my incredible guest for the day. Michelle, hi. Welcome hi. to the show. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> of course, I'm excited to have you. So let's kick off a little bit by just talking about kind of your career journey and ending where you are today. So today you're the VP of revenue at Dooley, but you have an incredible journey. It looks like, did you start in hardware and then make the switch to software? I did, yes. I started early yes. on in hardware, which was two weeks out of college and then made the switch to startup world and SaaS, and I haven't changed since. Okay, why did you make that switch? Was it accidental? Did you realize you were making a switch from the world of hardware, which is completely different from the world of what B2B tech, right? It's even like an even smaller bit of SaaS where this whole different world, did you realize you were making that switch? Was it deliberate? It was not deliberate, but I knew that the big company wasn't for me. And when you're selling, you have to be passionate about what you're selling. You have to be excited and hardware is not exciting at all. And then when I started at my first startup, Applause really didn't know what the startup world was like because again, it was like right out of school. So I knew that I enjoyed the fast paced, always changing environment. 
and also the ability to have access to amazing individuals within the organization, like our CTO, our CEO, and learn so much from these people. And I don't think I would have had that chance in a larger organization at all. So that really was very attractive to me. Yeah. I, I love that you're able to have that level of insight as well. Cause I think so many wouldn't like my first venture into tech, I didn't even realize that I was making that switch. Right. Like I was like, this is a cool company that's hiring, right? It was Groupon at the time. And I was like, great. And like, your mind doesn't go to, this is tech, this is SaaS, this is gonna move quickly. You just think to yourself, like, this is another company that I'll go work for. And I came from financial services. And so this is a perfect segue into our topic of conversation today, which is this idea of career pathing, not just for yourself, but also for others that you've worked with. And I would, I'm excited later on to hear about some of the journeys that you've probably helped and facilitated throughout your career. But first, yeah, focusing here, what were some of the craziest differences that you noticed moving from, we'll call it non-tech into tech? Was there any kind of culture shock, product shock? Yes. What was the so experience? I wasn't in a <laughs> yes, in the all. role very long. And again, I just graduated college. So I thought that was normal. And then I realized, wow, I have to be in this role for two and a half years before I even get the opportunity to interview. And I might interview and not get the role, but then stay where I am today. And I also have friends who are not in tech and they have to stay at a certain level for five years before they can move up another level. And then there are 10 other people ahead of them to get that promotion that they're working really hard for. And it was normal for me at the time because I didn't know anything else. And once you get into tech and more me more specifically the startup world, the opportunities are almost endless if you understand where you want to go. And if you put the hard work and effort into getting there. Yeah, it's such a good point. I mean, my, my husband works in baseball for one of the major teams here in Chicago, and he's been in the same position for 12 years. And that's totally normal. Like that's what ev everyone there has been in the same position since they got there and they get merit increases every year. And that's just it. And I was like, well, when do you get promoted? Like, when do you move up? He's like, well, when my boss's boss retires, then my boss will move into his role and then I'll move into my boss's role. And I'm like, it's wild. <laughs> that is and it's so just <laughs> normal for them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But then he sees me where it's like, you know, in the last 15 years, I've gone from a sales rep up to C-suite in tech and it's the same amount of time, mm -hmm. but just this exponential growth. And so for you, keep going, keep telling more of your story. So like, I want to hear how you got where you are. Yeah. So I started off as a BDR at a startup, like I mentioned, right out of school and did the grunt work and was qualifying meetings in a space that we really didn't know, or we were creating a category and a, a new idea. So it was really a lot of experimenting and trying to understand how to position this company. And also create qualified leads and then ship them over to the sales reps. And this was a new role in the company. And really, we called it grassroots marketing at that time, which was kind of crazy now if you think about it. <laughs> it's just outbound prospecting. So right, right. quickly, 
I was noticed for the efforts of just grinding it out and being pretty successful in the role really early on and moved my way up to an account executive role. Again, I had no idea about sales or what an AE is and what that role would be like. And they took a chance on me and moved up quickly after that to a team lead and inside sales manager. I was at this organization for five years. Throughout the career progression, I never asked for a promotion. My leaders tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you have taken 10 people under your wing and built a new onboarding process and sales process while we're still trying to learn. And here's a here's your, your inside sales team now, and now you're a, a leader. And then same thing with director, just continue to give me more responsibilities without ever actually asking for it. And then I decided to leave that company after five years, which was super hard because it was basically my first role and moved up very quickly. And I went back to an individual contributor role, which a lot of people at the time thought I was crazy because I had been a manager for three plus years. And I did that because there were only 13 people in the organization. This was Datadog. And there were only three sales reps. So I said, I'm going to go back and have a quota and sell and work my way up because I know that I, I have the ability to build out a sales team again and prove that I can get there. And it was, it was nine months after and I was promoted to a director because we had a business need and we were growing. And, you know, again, I didn't raise my hand for it. it they asked me to be in that role. So built the sales team out at Datadog from three to close to a hundred over the course of four years and was promoted a few times throughout my tenure there to associate vice president of sales and built the team from three sales reps, then BDR motion and had multiple directors and managers reporting to me. I was at Datadog for four years and I love the startup space. So my time there kind of plateaued. It was a well-oiled machine. I was getting bored and jumped to another startup. Again, I, I don't want to say I took a step down, but I was AVP to senior director of sales at Drift. Did the same thing at Drift where built out the sales team. Again, took on a lot more responsibility in projects because my leadership team had the confidence in me to do so. So totally out of the blue surprise got promoted to vice president of sales again without raising my hand saying hey can i have this or i deserve this or can i interview for this and with that with every promotion and change in my role came a lot more responsibility and that was my role at drift and i am now vp of revenue at Dooley. so have worked at startups very fast paced very high velocity and building out the sales teams Oh, I am so excited to dig in here. This was, I, most of the time I don't take notes, but I feel like for yours, it's like, it's unbelievably serendipitous that we are talking about career paths being nonlinear because I think you've done so many things that one, I think are somewhat rare, but two, that everyone is terrified of, right? So in tech, the thing that people are most terrified of is if I have to take a step back, 
I'm never going to get back where I was, mm -hmm. right? It's this concept of I was Icarus flying too close to the sun. I'm never going to achieve that again if I take a step back. And I've even had close friends recently in tech who have been considering a move because they're either bored, which we're also going to dig into, but they're bored. They're not learning. They don't like their leadership, mm -hmm. right? Main reasons people leave is they, they are not bought into the leadership or they're not bought into the product. Next after that is they're being underpaid. Those really are the top three. But the idea of there's this new incredible company that I want to go to, but in order to go there, I have to take a step back. And that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. You kind of did that twice. How did you convince yourself to do that? And were you like, were you terrified to do that? Did it feel like a risk both times? Yes, absolutely. Especially my move to Datadog because we were super small, only 13 employees at the time. And we were in a new space trying to sell this new idea and product. We had really early success, but to be an account executive trying to sell something new is extremely scary. I had so much success in my previous role as an inside sales manager, but I looked at the founders and I looked at the opportunity of growing the team and told myself that I will do it again. I will be able to prove that I have the ability to not only be a, a top sales rep, but also lead a team again. But yeah, I had a lot of sleepless nights not wondering is, did I make the right decision? Because it is very difficult to go from not holding your own quota and not doing cold calls for like two and a half, three years and going back into that role was definitely a change, but we saw success. So, you know, in sales, you have the wins and the ups and downs, but you do it for the win. So because we were really successful early on, that was my motivating factor of just like, just keep going, you'll get there, but it is scary for anyone. And also I did that. Where else are you going? At Drift too. So especially yeah. working so hard to get to the VP level and then to drop down to senior director when there was already a VP in the seat. So I thought, going to be years before I can do this again. But the idea of- That's even scarier. Yeah. Exactly. The idea of building and scaling a, a team <laughs> at a startup is attractive to me. So I, I did it again. <laughs> I have to imagine that even like on a personal note, humility wise, right? Like there's something, especially as a woman in tech ascending the ladder, taking a step back, I don't know, it just- it feels so much more meaningful and so much more scary because we are so, it's getting better, mm -hmm. but we're not as often offered those high level executive seats. Like so many women get trapped in middle management that when you actually do ascend beyond that, taking a step back, it's not only scary and you not only wonder, am I ever going to make it back? But also like humility wise, right? Like I took a step back in my own career and I was almost embarrassed. Like yes. it was almost, yeah. Tell me about that. You're embarrassed because you look at your peers that may have started at the same time that are still holding that higher position that you were at. And now it's, oh, well, I'm doing this now. And I was doing this, but I'm doing, you know, I'm in this title again. And most people don't understand it, but you have to have that internal drive to understand what you need to do to get back to that level or even higher and understanding why you're making the move in the first place. So for me specifically looking at the product itself and the founders and who I'm going to learn from, are they going to help coach? Will they challenge me? 
And if I can check off those boxes and feel confident that, yes, I will learn, I will be challenged, I will also grow as an individual, not only in my career, but anything that I learn throughout this step down, per se, I will be able to take it to another company and get back to the level that I was at. So as long as I, you have that backstory, I think you might as well take the risk. I mean, that's an risk. unbelievable IQ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy though. <laughs> yeah. And again, that, that, that level of EQ in the moment, I mean, and I imagine in the moment, right? Like it wasn't as sexy, right? In the moment you're like, yes, God, I hope sure. this is worth it. But like there was, yeah, there had to be some part of you in there though, that was that EQ voice in you, that professional in you, that future VP, likely future C-suite in you that was like, this is a deliberate step. This mm-hmm. is not a step back. A deliberate step in your career is always a step forward. The role doesn't matter because it's a deliberate step. And so I think that's kind of what I'm learning from you. Yes. Now, this idea of being tapped for higher roles, in my experience, that's unbelievably rare. Like to have so many experiences where people see something in you, again, especially as a female working in revenue and be like, you need to do more. Now, I've been tapped to interview, but most of the time I've had to raise my hand and say, I want this. Or Mm -hmm. I've had to encourage my direct reports or any folks in my org to be like, I know this is something that you want. There's an opportunity. You should go for it. So in your experience being tapped, why do you think that happened to you so often? I think it's the stages of the organizations that I was working at. So series A, B, C, even D, growing and scaling the sales team you take on a lot of responsibility and I have the ability to take on a lot at once and move the needle in a positive way. So there was a point where I was given multiple different teams within the organization, some that I had no experience in running, but I said, sure, I, I can take it and was able to turn it around. And it was basically some, my leader at one point said, I'm the fixer. So just give Michelle the broken part of the company and (laughs) she'll fix it. And that's, that is how I was able to get tapped because it was literally like, well, she'll take on that other team because this leader left. So here's 18 more people and you got it. So I think it was just my ability to put my head down and, and really take that challenge and move it into the career that I wanted it to be. So but it is pretty rare to be tapped. Yeah. Yeah. And to be tapped so often, I mean, and you make a good point though, this stage of company that you're in, I think does have something to do with that. But even mm-hmm. so, I mean, it shows that the work that you do shines, which I think is just a note for everybody that it's like, do big work. It doesn't mean do more work, but like yes. do meaningful work, do big work, take on opportunities identify areas that you can have a positive impact with in your team or organization without having to be asked to do that and that is what i have done i also have had unbelievable leaders on my team that did that and i promoted them to those roles because i didn't ask them to take on okay let's work on you know our our sales methodology or process they just identified an area that we needed to improve and they ran with it without actually me asking them to do it. So I think that goes a long way 
to get tapped as opposed to saying, hey, did X, Y, and Z, why can't I be a manager? It's like, okay, well, oh my gosh. let's talk. <laughs> yeah. let's, I'll tell you exactly why. Yeah, let's exactly. break it down. <laughs> well, this is actually a great segue into wanting to talk just about there's your own career. I mean, this is one of the cooler stories that I've heard of just movement and deliberate movement and just having to take the ego out of it and just mm -hmm. driving and seeing where you can go when you do that. So I'm inspired. But now what teams report up to you at Dooley? So who's under your purview? I have the sales team, the BDR team, our first account manager, and then operations. Okay. So that's a lot, um, <laughs> not surprised, but that's a lot. And in this role and other roles, you've obviously been a part of facilitating other folks' career growth. Mm -hmm. And in tech, that can be wild. So I wanna take a moment to focus in with you on this idea of career impatience yes. and what your experience has been managing folks who are career impatient, right? This whole tech, like, I gotta ascend the ladder, I'm 23 and I'm not a VP yet. Yes. What? How have you handled that as a leader with your either direct reports or your orgs? That is something that has been, I, I say new over the last like two years. And now it's even more right. aggressive than any other time mm. in my career. And I go back and forth with a strict career path process. So in my previous roles, it got a little out of hand where people were just demanding oh, well, I want to be a senior or I want to be a manager, but you've only been actually in the role that we hired you for six months and you haven't really showed me why you should be in that role. So I have put in place specific expectations in order to move up another level. And I don't necessarily believe it's based off of time. It really should be, are you overachieving in the roles and expectations that I initially set for you when I hired you, let's say as an account executive, you're doing really well as an account executive, you've identified areas of improvement, and then ran with it on your own to improve those areas without me asking. And we'll talk about getting you into the right position as the, when the time comes, and that could be two months from now, or it could be two years from now, it just depends on the business need as well as how well you're performing. So just because you have one great month in sales doesn't necessarily mean you need to be a director of sales all, all of a sudden. And surprise, that's really hard for some people to grasp that we need to see repeatable success. And it really depends on the stage and of the company, but the beauty of working at a startup, we have, a number of opportunities, business needs for you to grow within your career. But there's there are guidelines. So I actually just put together a career path, specific levels, and it's really metric driven. And once you hit those metrics, there are other aspects of that career path and more responsibilities that I want you to take on before we have the conversation of getting to the next level. I know if someone, I know right off the bat, if someone is going to be that senior account executive or that manager, more specifically manager and team lead. There are specific traits that I look for early on, like your first few months, because it depends on how you handle a lot of change and stepping into a new organization, how you handle identifying people to talk to and the onboarding process. There are some people who will just come in and focus specifically on 
all right, these are my tasks at hand. I'm not going to go above and beyond because this is what I was told to do. And then there are some people right out of the gate week two, like, yeah, I want to be able to be a, a leader. So can I join you on some coaching calls? Can I join you on your other pipeline reviews? So right, I, I know like, okay, they have the right mindset in order to get to the next level. But I also think everyone, if they're exceeding their goals, they do deserve the chance to have that conversation. And you should be having mm-hmm. as a leader, those career conversations pretty often just to level set too. So there isn't that question of how am I doing in my role? And I'm meeting right. your specific expectations. So I have this doc in my mind as I'm talking and it will be shared with the team and I might stick with it or I might not, but it's always something to point to like, Hey, this is why you're, you're not there or, Hey, this is why you're there. And this is why you got promoted after being in the role for three months or three years. Because you have to justify that to the other folks, right? Because if exactly. they see one person promoted after three months, well, now I should also it's be chaos. promoted after three it's months. Chaos or, that happens. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, because because I mean, to that point, it's how long do you think it truly takes on average? And maybe this is a hard question for somebody to truly show you their work and their mastery. Because my prior world. I led a growth account management org. And I remember when we would newly promote someone or hire them from the outside, they were always given the existing book of business and it was their job to run and manage it. Mm -hmm. The first six months that they were on the job, they could obviously impact that, but so much of their success relied on the person who sat in the seat before them. And so it would have been very hard to attribute their first quarter 120% to quota as their work as equally as it would have been to their first quarter at 60% to quota as their work. So how often, like how long do you usually think it takes for you to be able to recognize this is your mastery and your work and now we should talk about the next step? I would say at least six months. Yeah. Because I'm thinking about the the current role that I'm in and, and the stage that Dooley's at. We we change a lot. We're changing processes every single day. We're still in learning mode. And you're going to, we're basically drinking from a fire hose, especially if you start today, there's so much that you should, you can learn, but I, I'm also giving you leads like right out of the gate. So once you start to understand the true role and expectations and are you, you could have like crush your first two months and then lose that spark for whatever reason. And you just go downhill. Like you could have been, I don't want to say lucky because sales is hard, but an AE had left and they had this like amazing book of business and you just were handed a pipeline that was ready to close. So I want to see you succeed another quarter and a half at that pace. So I guess it really just depends on the specific role, but I'm thinking of an individual on my team that just crushes it and will take on specific projects without being asked and has developed over a very short amount of time. So I already know that they're probably in the right position. They're setting themselves to be in the right position for a promotion soon. And that will be around the six month mark because they've been able to pretty like steady and have exceeded expectations. Yeah. Have you ever found yourself in a position where you realize you promoted somebody too soon? Yes. Yes. More so on the leader, obviously the leadership side. And right. Because we needed a, it was more of a bandaid. We didn't really know what to do. So instead of taking a step back and thinking, 
who is the right fit for this? We just pulled this individual into that role. And about nine months later, we had to have a difficult conversation to demote and go back down to individual contributor in a completely yeah. different segment too. So if you think you have to fill this void or fill this position today, I would take a step back and look at all options. It might be worth interviewing externally. It might take another month or two, but long-term, the amount of time and money that mistake causes is a lot. Ugh. Well, and that individual, it's most folks who go into leadership or who take on that responsibility, you pick them because there's some level of self-awareness that they have. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's like that individual has to know too, I'm in over my head. I'm drowning. This isn't the right role for me. And it's often really scary for them to step up and say that because of what yes. it means for their career. So that's sage advice. Yes. And it was a difficult conversation, but they you could almost see like a weight lifted off their shoulders when that direct conversation happened. Like, oh, thank God I am drowning. And I saw it three months in. <laughs> so like, yes, I know. Let's get you in yeah. the right role. Right. If you were like, fair. I am... <laughs> You look at this person who's like sweating at their desk every day, and then it impacts their team, the people below them. So it is a costly mistake, but identifying how to position or how to transition them into the right position is also important. That's another conver multiple conversations. Okay. They're, they're great at this role. They know the company. They really, no it wasn't really their fault mm -hmm. that we ripped them out of their position and put them into position that they didn't deserve to be in or not deserve, but shouldn't have been in, in the first place. So let's make We're sure that this is a smooth transition yeah. positively, yeah. because also it reflects the upper management team, how you handle those difficult conversations, because people want to be respected. They want to make sure that they feel safe in their role, not necessarily the manager that got demoted, but also the reps. You don't want the reps to say, wow, are they just going to like walk me out at any right. given point? Are they going to treat me poorly as well? Because then there's uneasiness across the entire team and it, it backfires the whole thing. Oh, that's such a good point. And that's why this is a good conversation because career pathing your teams as an executive leader, it's like walking a field of landmines, Yes, you know, and, and, and it's like when you make it through and you're like, I didn't hit one. That's a big win. But so often another landmine that comes to mind that I used to experience a lot, and this one is tough, is when you have really great set criteria for how to be promoted. And you have individuals who mm -hmm. follow that and then they go, I've done it, I'm there. And now you don't have a spot open for them. So now you have yes. these folks who are sitting there and then you see the resentment start to build. Have you seen that? Absolutely. And it goes into the business need part of that doc. Do we have a business yeah. need? And thankfully for in tech or in the startup space, growing, you know, we get another round of funding. Yes, we have to hire 20 more people. And with that, there's growing opportunity for everyone. But to your previous comment, if you're not in tech, you could be sitting there until there's that business need opens up in 20 years. So it's, again, about setting <laughs> expectations. And the, the thing now is everyone wants a title change. I've had two different conversations with people. I want more money. I don't care about the title. I want a title and I don't care about more money. And I think most, I'd say more recently, it's, I just want the title. I don't even care about money. They just have this idea of, I need to be in a director role or I need to be an inside sales manager by, you know, age 28. Like, okay, 
but I can't get you there. But you know what? We're yeah. leveling everyone up and here's, <laughs> All right. here's a bump in your salary. Here's more equity. That is something that we've done in the past to maintain the current, you know, state of the, the team and also try and keep people from leaving really. But everyone's motivated differently. It's crazy. They are. And, and then there's those folks that want both. Like, I feel like, <laughs> yeah. I feel like yeah. early on in my career, I was like, yeah, I want the title bump. I would also like the yes. money and goes yes. along yeah. with it and let me know when that's available. I would like that. And that bump <laughs> isn't enough either. So I want more. <laughs> uh, right. This isn't going to do it for me. I have a lifestyle that I'd like to move into, please. Right. And kindly. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, speaking of moving into things, this has been an absolutely incredible conversation. It brings me to the final segment of our show, which is the rapid reveal. Are you down for this? I'm down for it. Let's do it. <laughs> I love the little bit of a pause. You're like, uh, yeah. <laughs> The rapid reveal, it's five questions <laughs> for you to answer in 60 seconds or less, and it's gonna help the audience get to know you a little better. So number one, who has impacted you the most in your career? I'd say my dad. My dad is someone that a lot of people look up to because he's been very successful, but he did it on his own and he's in his 60s and he's still absolutely crushing it. He is still setting goals for himself. I don't want to say working long hours is a good thing, but he's working very long hours to get to where he wants to be, which is retiring soon, hopefully. Oh, I love that. That's one. That's going to be me at 60. I'm still going to be hustling. It's just, oh, yeah. just no way. Yes. It might be weird, but like I'll be doing it, you know? <laughs> I know. I look at my dad and that's what he's still doing. So that motivates me to continue to hustle. Oh, I love it. All right. Number two, this is when I ask everybody, what is an irrational fear of yours? I can't drive over bridges. I am Ooh. so petrified that it's actually not safe for me to drive over a bridge. I black out. I lose all feeling in my limbs. So it actually is, it impacts my ability to go places if I'm alone <laughs> driving over a bridge. But I have to tell myself it's just a road. Not there yet, though. Oh, my gosh. There's this little bridge in Long Grove, Illinois. And I actually think they've shut it down now, but I remember in order to like enter the town in one area, you had to go over this, like it was like a single lane, but like a little bit smaller than a traditional lane, just itty bitty nope. little bridge. And I just remember driving over that and being like, this is a death trap. Yeah, one no. of these days, like you make it over and you're like, whoo, thank goodness. <laughs> Where did that start for you? Like, have you just always- you I don't know. I have a fear of heights in general, but uh, bridges- are just take me to a different level. So I have to work Can you on watch it. movies with people crossing, crossing oh, no, like a rickety I, bridge? My hands are sweaty okay. talking about it right now. <laughs> okay, then we're gonna move on. I'm just kidding. I was like, what about a super shaky bridge? All right, we're gonna stop. <laughs> no. I'll stop torturing you. Okay, number three. What is your earliest childhood memory? That would be really any time at my family's uh, summer home in Marshfield, Mass. So just spending time on the beach with family and we still do it, but that is the happiest times and, and always brings back great memories of being there in Marshfield. It's beautiful. All right. Number four, do you have any reoccurring dreams? No, I don't sleep very well. So I guess you have to sleep in order to get to have dreams, oh, but no, <laughs> I have very vivid and real dreams, but nothing recurring where you wake up and you're like, wow, was that real life? Or what happened, but nothing recurring. Ooh. 
nothing recurring. Oh, I love that though. Vivid dreams. And I, I'm wishing good sleep on you. You yeah. need that. You're too busy of a woman to not get the REM cycle in. Yeah, oh, I know. Man. Two All kids right. will do that. This one's you. kind of a fun one. Oh my gosh. I have one kid and I still, he's about to turn four and I still hear phantom cries. At yes. The like phantom cries. I'm like, he's crying. Yes. Yeah. And then I'm like, he's four. If he's crying, he'll hug a teddy and go back to sleep. Like, yeah, exactly. to I'm like, body, I don't need to be jolted away, covered in sweat because I hear him not cry. Unbelievable. Exactly. Parenting. It's wild. All right. Number five, what was your favorite year so far and why? I probably say 2013. It was the year I got married, the year we bought our first home. We got our dog. It was also a year where I saw a lot of growth in my career. So that kickstarted a lot of amazing things in 2013 that, you know, have set me up for happiness and success where I am today. Oh, 2013. Beautiful year. I have to agree. That was a good one. It was a good one. general. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's been wonderful getting to know you. And I imagine everyone listening would love to get to know you more. So where can folks find you and learn about you and also learn about your incredible company? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Michelle Peach, VP of Revenue at Dooley. Find me on LinkedIn, send me a message, connect, and I'm happy to connect with other individuals in sales and Beautiful. not even in tech. Just anybody. Anybody. Yeah. Let's make friends. Yeah. <laughs> anybody. I love it. Well, thank you for being with us. Thank you all for listening to another episode of Taking the Lead. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. This episode was brought to you by Sales Assembly. For more information about membership or our free 60-day trial, visit us at salesassembly.com. And if you like what you just heard, please subscribe to Taking the Lead on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please leave us a review. It really helps people find the show. Thanks for listening.